If we could uh, uh, go through our scripture for Mount Refuge. I'm very proud of our leadership team and our church and just the involvement, the growth, hey, spiritually. Um, I love it. I love when I grow alongside people that, you know, that's growing, that are growing as well and that are evolving in the things of Christ. It makes the journey in Christ that much more sweeter. Amen. Alrighty then. Well, um, it's okay because we all... Oh, oh, shout out to our media. Saint, beautiful job. But, you know, everyone already knows this off my heart. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Are we ready? Yeah, Joshua 1, verse 8 and 9. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Hallelujah, Jesus. Dispensation of the truth. Is that our theme this month? Of the truth? Absolutely. Yeah, there we go. Dispensation of the truth. I know all month I have been trying to dissect and really take in what this means. Because it's quite a, if you think about it from a theology perspective, it's very huge. It's very vast. Although the word dispensation isn't mentioned in the Bible, it's still very relevant in terms of categorizing how the Israelites moved, how ministry was moved throughout the Bible. And I want to do a bit of teaching just in the first couple of minutes of my encouragement this morning so that we can understand what dispensation means and what dispensationalism means. <clears throat> Amen? I loved that the take on dispensation of the truth last week was in the form of self. That as people, as children of the Most High God, we have been, or we are to be compassionate. We are to be loving, understanding to those around us, especially in the time of darkness. And I, I thought that was a very uh, powerful take in the theme of dispensation of the truth. It's very relevant um, for us as a church. Amen? Amen. Uh, but before I pray, I would like to honour our senior pastors and thank the senior pastor for this opportunity to share an encouragement. Because, uh, you know, this pulpit is not my pulpit. <laughs> this pulpit has been assigned to uh, senior pastor Abraham, and I'm very honoured. <laughs> yes, it's Jesus' pulpit, but you are the shepherd of this house, pastor. <laughs> and yeah, I'm very honoured um, for the opportunity. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We are so grateful, so grateful for the truth. Thank you for this freedom that we have in you, Father God. Thank you, Father, for your love, your mercy, and your grace. It's new every morning. And Father, I pray that this morning you would speak through me, speak to us, Holy Spirit, bring understanding, bring clarity, Father God. 
so that we can understand your heart even more, Lord Jesus, so that we can be better equipped to love others, to serve your purpose and to serve the cause of this house. We love you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. Dispensation. The meaning of dispensation is the exemption from a rule or a usual requirement. A political religion or social system prevailing at a particular time. The meaning of truth is something that is which is right or correct. I believe the Bible is clear on the fact that God is to be praised on heaven, or in heaven and on earth. Because that is so, God has a plan for the earth and a, another plan for heaven. Yeah? And I feel like based, in basic terms, dispensational truth is an understanding that Israel is at the center of God's plan for the earth and that the church is at the center of its plan for heaven. Does that make sense? Now, what is dispensationalism? So it's going to be a bit of a teaching this morning uh, so we can understand this word before we end the theme of this month. Yeah? What is dispensationalism? The last book of the Bible, which is Revelation, it was written nearly 2,000 years ago. Both testaments were written in a drastically different culture and language. It is clear that much of the Bible was intended as history. Some also um, with the Bible, sorry, with the Bible, it's not just history. It's also a bit of uh, symbolism, some poetry, and the majority of the Bible is prophecy. Yep. <clears throat> And with the dispensationalism, it's basically determining God's arch story over the earth, over Israel, through the scripture. But it almost, to understand the overall arch story of, of God and in, in, in all of these uh, books in the Bible, it's almost like you have to have a methodology, like a, a, scientific, <laughs> a scientific method because it's so big. Those that uh, started or put together the dispensational, or dispensationalism, they were called dispensationalists. Oh man, these words are a bit too big for me. <laughs> they were called, dis like they could have been called anything else, eh? but no, dispensationalists came up with dispensationalism and so basically the the framework is that the texts of the bible should be taken literally wherever possible and that the church and the nation of israel are two separate entities which god has managed via two different two distinct plans does that make sense oh my gosh it's a lot <laughs> Just a tiny bit, eh? Let's just uh, to make sure that you're awake this morning. <laughs> <clears throat> now, within the literal interpretation of dispensationalism, Jesus was very fond of using some of the themes in dispensationalism 
in the way that he taught the church, in the way that he taught people, in parables. Um, he often used what we call, it's almost like a film and pictures, eh? He loved to use imagery to reveal who he was and the, the, the facet of his character, amen? Whether it was his protective side, which he mentions in Matthew 23, verse 37, or his power, we see this. I'm, I'm chucking our scriptures so that you can read in your own time. Um, or his power in Hosea uh, chapter 5, verse 14. But the meaning behind the metaphor, which is dispensationalism, is to be taken literally. God makes the evidence through his use of language, which passages are literal and which ones are metaphorical when he's teaching. Are, are you still with me? Okay, great. Oh, thank you, Trina. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> it was a long pause and then, oh, yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. And even in such, when he's performing miraculous, you know, when there are miraculous events in the New Testament. Sorry, I need to make sure I'm on the right path here. <laughs> yeah, and even in such, you know, when he's performing these miraculous spectacular events such as creation of time and healing the sick and raising the dead to life. Even in all of this, he used specific language to uh, show the literal meaning of what it was that he was doing, yeah? For instance, for example, I'm going to use uh, easy language here. For example, uh, many were trying to force the text to mean that God created the world during, during a long period of time when in fact he's a very literal God. He created darkness and light, night and day. He works on a 24-hour period. Do you know what I mean? Whereas, you know, some people try and expand it to be this long process, but God is just straight up literal. It's like, nope, this is, this is what it is. You know what I mean? There's no fluff around it. Because if there was fluff around it, we wouldn't understand it to its full extent. Because we are human. Amen? We see this in Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse, you know, throughout all of Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> God has also worked through the course of history to encourage a literal interpretation of the Bible. Even though we might not really fully understand it now it's always been the way of our god very clear straight to earth it's only complex if we make it complex amen those prophecies which have been fulfilled have all been fulfilled literally jesus was literally born to a virgin and this was mentioned in isaiah 7 right in bethlehem literally in bethlehem which was mentioned in micah he also rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and that's mentioned in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Literal, right? God, God didn't have to fulfill these prophecies literally, but because he did, it empowers us 
to interpret other prophecies and the things that he has in the word quite literally. Amen? <clears throat> and it would make sense that he would want for us to, uh, comp- what's the word? He would want for us to interpret his word literally. Can we say amen if you are still with me? Amen. Mm. Now, dispensationalism holds the church and Israel, the church which is us, and Israel which is God's, God's nation. Dispensationalism holds both Israel and the church as two different entities which God interacts with in two specific ways. Yep? Yes? Good. Um, Unlike covenant theology, uh, dispensationalism teaches that the church did not inherit the promises God made to Israel. Is that correct, Pastor? Oh, yes. (laughs) Now, although both the church and Israel receive salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus, the church is not a political or a national entity. It is not called to enforce God's standards on a nationwide or worldwide scale. Now, with this separation or distinction in mind that there's Israel and then there's the church, God's plan for Israel is still yet to be fulfilled. Israel is still an essential part. We, a lot of us know this. Still a part essential part, sorry, in the end times, which is ultimately to come to pass in the millennial kingdom, which is one of the dispensational truths, which we will get to, don't worry about it. And this is mentioned in Revelation 20. Now, God's attention is temporarily on the church, but it will return to Israel when the church is raptured before tribulation. Does this make sense? Dispensationalism gets its name from dispensations. (laughs) Now, there are seven different dispensations. Now, with these seven different dispensations, I'm going to quickly go through them. There's the dispensation of innocence, dispensation of conscience, Dispensation of human government, dispensation of promise, dispensation of law, dispensation of grace, and the dispensation um, of the millennial kingdom. Now, basically, all this means is they are seven time frames. Seven time frames that the scriptures are divided into that makes it more easier to understand right yes okay great (laughs) so there are seven uh, time frames that are not literally named in the text when i say this i'm meaning that the word dispensation there is nowhere in the bible where there's the word dispensation there's nowhere in the bible where dispensationalism is mentioned There's also nowhere nowhere in the Bible where it talks about the dispensationalists who put together and interpreted God's word into this dispensationalism, right? Yes, we understand this? Excellent. But the reason why 
dispensationalism came about was so that we could understand the seven time frames within the scriptures. Yep. So the seven dispensations, I want to go through this really quickly again so we get an understanding of what these uh, time frames or dispensations are. And the reason why they, there are seven time frames is, was to help us interpret and understand the scripture clearly. Yep. All right. <clears throat> now the word, as I mentioned before, dispensation means a system of order, government or organization of a nation, community, etc. Especially as existing at a particular time. Now, looking through the Bible, we can find seven distinct dispensations or time frames or ways of doing things that were God-ordered and God-ordained. Each dispensation has a purpose in the overall story. And I'm just going to give a brief uh, outline. It's good for us to understand just because I feel like if we are to understand what the dispensation of truth is, we have to understand what Dispen, yeah, dispensation. That word, what dispensationalism is. So we can put into context. Oh, so that's why the pastor preached about that on that Sunday. Oh, that's why Pastor T preached about that on that Sunday. Because it all is in line with dispensationalism and the understanding of the scriptures. Yep. So the dispensation of innocence. So this covers the time from the creation of man to the fall of man. So it's from Genesis chapter 1 right up until Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. All of God's creatures lived at peace with themselves, with each other. Uh, the world was without sin or death. Yep. Man was, uh, pro was to procreate, you know be fruitful and multiply, rule the earth and the animals, and take care of the beautiful, luscious garden that was the Garden of Eden. <clears throat> God gives one command during this time frame, and that is to obey, which was, do not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Obviously, even Adam, they uh, disobeyed this rule and were expelled from the garden as their punishment or the, as a consequence of their disobedience. So that's dispensation of innocence. The next one is the dispensation of conscience, which outlines when Adam and Eve were evicted from the garden, when they were told to get up out of here, get out of this garden now. And that's where the dispensation of conscience happens. And it's a time where man was left to rule himself by his own will and conscience, both of which had been stained and overtaken by sin. Um, it was an absolute disaster, obviously. <laughs> uh, it's, it just ended with disaster, looked like disaster, smelled like disaster, disaster all around. Amen? And that's the reason why God brought the flood. And Noah was the man who was building this ark for however many years. And we see this happening in Genesis chapter 3. Now, during this particular dispensation or this particular time frame, man became so wicked that every intention 
of the thoughts of his heart was what we call evil continually. And it got to the point where God regretted his making of man and the this, this sin and the wickedness of the people grieved his heart. Um, and this was also the time where fallen angels married human women and produced giant evil offspring. Yep. So that's the dispensation of conscience. That's the time frame there. Are you with me? The next dispensation is the dispensation of human government. Uh, this began after the flood. After he rained down on the earth, cleaned out the earth. And then God made a promise and gave commands to Noah and his family. And God promised that he wasn't going to flood the earth ever again. And he commanded Noah and his sons to repopulate the world. Man, that's a lot of repopulation, eh? If I think about it. <laughs> and to scatter across the earth. And he allowed them to use animals at this time. He was telling them, you know, you can use animals, these specific animals to eat. And what happened was Noah's descendants, they failed to fill the earth as he was commanded to, and instead they worked together to build the Tower of Babel. And this is seen in Genesis chapter 11. And again, God, who was God, he shows up and he causes confusion. We all know this story, causes confusion. Everyone starts speaking five million different languages, um, creating different nations and cultures that later spread to different nations. And this was beginning, the beginning of the human government, dispensation of human government. Yep. And then the next dis uh, dispensation is the dispensation of promise. The dispensation of human government lasted right up until Abraham was called. So the call of Abraham, the lives of the patriarchs and the enslavement of the Jewish, pe Jewish people in Egypt all fall under the dispensation of promise, which makes sense, right? Now, this was the time that uh, Abraham's descendants waited and waited for the promise that was given to Abraham that God would make Abraham's descendants great amongst the nations and he would give them their own land. You see this in Genesis chapter 12. Now, the dispensation of promise ended with the, the exodus of the Jews from Egypt. Yeah? So once they left Egypt, they were officially a nation led by God into the wilderness towards the promised land. And then after that, that leads us to the dispensation of law. This is very important. I found this very interesting at two o'clock in the morning, okay? <laughs> and I found, a, I just had this newfound understanding of, and love, sorry, a newfound understanding and love for the scripture, especially the New Testament. I mean, sorry, especially the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. I'm an old soul. Anyways, the dispensation of law lasted almost 1,500 years. Can anyone say 1,500? So it began with the exodus and ended with the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The delivery of uh, the Ten Commandments to Moses 
you know, I didn't realize that um, the law, the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses was the Mosaic law. I did not know this. We'll go into that some other time, just not right now, because I've got a, a lot to share to you. <laughs> but um, it really blew my mind. Uh, yeah, anyways. Um, so yeah, so in this, in this time, in this dispensation, there's the delivery of the Ten Commandments between God and man. And there was a certain standard of perfection that was outlined that God required from his people. And this included instructions about the temple of worship and the sacrifices. And this is where you find the boring part in the Bible where it's got like, you know, has to be six inch by seven inch, uh, this much, this sackcloth, this color. And you know what's so funny is like how God has so many different characters to him. He's not just this God who looks over the earth is our deliverer, redeemer, you know, lover of our soul. Um, but he's also very organized. He's a man of details. I love details. He's a man of order. So he's listing out to a T things that I used to think reading was so boring. But as I grew older, I found that, man, I love details. <laughs> when everyone's doing something around me, I'm like, hey, what time, what day, what color? <laughs> Who you with? What, what time? How long is it going to take to get from A to B? Like, I need to know all these details. And it's so funny that, uh, yeah, I just love that God is such an organized God. Now, during this time, it was also the age of priests, prophets, and kings. During this dispensation was the rising of the priests, prophets, and kings, both good and evil. And the people of Yeshua repeatedly broke his commands. Oh my gosh, sad. And they would always be like wandering off to find other gods. I don't know why. This God who just delivered them from, you know, Egypt and slavery, and yet that still wasn't good enough for them. He provided manna from heaven, still wasn't good enough for them. Bless you. Uh, yeah, just nothing was ever good enough for the Israelites, which is why they struggled. Um, it is important to note during this time that uh, the strict following of commandments that the Lord wanted, um, it was never as important as God's mercy and faithfulness to his children. Amen? Amen. The law was given so that it was to show people that they needed to depend on God and only God and trust in him to save them rather than trusting in themselves and their own goodness, or other gods? <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> he, although he gave the law to the Israelites, he never, he never expected perfection. If he did, he would not have provided the sacrificial system as a way of, you know, man being able to be forgiven and cleansed at that time, right? And all he really wanted during that time was for man to be like, yes, I have sinned and I need forgiveness and atonement. Um, and at this time we saw, you know, the blood of the bulls and goats cannot take away sin. They are a symbol. Amen. They, they are a symbol looking forward to the one 
you know, it's a, a, a projection of what it would look like when the one who was the Messiah, whose blood could take away the sins of the world, would be present. Amen? Amen. After the dispensation of the Lord, dispensation of grace. We're almost there in terms of explaining this, and then I'm, my encouragement's going to be real quick. After the dispensation of law, it's the dispensation of grace. Now, the dispensation of grace started at the resurrection of Jesus. So from that time period right up until today. So right now, we are in the dispensation of grace. It is the new covenant in Christ's blood, which is mentioned in Luke chapter 22, verse 20. Um, this is also called the age of grace or the church age. I know a lot of scholars um, that I was reading through their books, a lot of them believed that the entire dispensation um, of more than 2,000 years, all these time frames, they occurred between the 69th and the 70th weeks of Dan Daniel's prophecy. Like, um, I, I find that really, really interesting. I just thought I'd drop it there. Uh, <laughs> if you wanted to go and study it in your own time, go ahead. Now, atonement was provided on the cross, once and for all. It is finished. Amen? Amen? But it was for all those that believed. So even if you look at it, look at grace, look at the sacrifice, and thought, oh, that's lovely. If you didn't believe, it wasn't for you. Although it was for you, but you would never receive atonement without believing. Amen? And receiving. Amen? Now, Abraham's children, they were all the types of people that had faith, including Gentiles, etc. Now, during this dispensation, we also have a comforter with us. We have the Holy Spirit. Man, we have it easy, because not only did Christ die for our sins, took upon himself our sin, guilt, and shame so that we could be free. He leaves the earth. He, is now, he sits at the right-hand side of the Father, but then he leaves a helper. Like, who does that? And that's because he's just this type of God who was like, man, I'm going to love you and then love you some more and help you more and make sure that all of this is done so that we, we don't have an excuse. <laughs> we can't say, no, you didn't, you didn't leave anybody behind to help me or to guide me. Oh, no, he did. The Holy Spirit. Amen? Who is a personality of God the Father. Hallelujah. <clears throat> now, those that, the scholars and the dispensationalists that that split the scriptures into these seven different time frames, they believe that the rapture will happen at the end of the church age or at the end of the dispensation of grace. But who knows when Jesus will come? <laughs> we don't know what time, day or hour. I think it's just a challenge for us to always be holy, <laughs> always be pure at heart in our intentions and motives wherever we are. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. I'm almost, I'm almost done with this part. Give me maybe four more minutes. Hallelujah, Jesus. So yeah, we have the Holy Spirit with us during this time to help us. And then at the end of the rapture of the church, 
Then there's the tribulation, which we all know about this. There's the judgment that will begin. Now, the exact timing of the rapture is still a subject of a great debate that's happening um, all around the world. But the dispensationalists believe that it will happen at the beginning of the seven years, which, have they signed the peace? <sighs> Hopefully not um, for another couple of years, please. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. <laughs> Was that me? Oh, okay. hello. Here I am. <clears throat> and... During this time after the rapture, and then there's tribulation, and then it will end with the battle of... Hello? Hello. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, sorry. Once the tribulation um, has finished, it will end with the battle of Armageddon, when Jesus Christ will return and defeat Satan, and any who would follow him into battle. Oh, it's pretty graphic. Um, and you'll find this in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 uh, to 20, if that's of any interest to you. Um, it's just too graphic for my liking this morning. Uh, I can't stomach it right now. So let's move on to the final dispensation, which is the millennial kingdom of Christ. Now, the millennial kingdom of Christ, or this particular time frame, or this particular dispensation, everyone say dispensation. <laughs> this begins at the defeat of Satan. And then it ushers into a thousand years of peace where Christ will reign on the earth. Now this will be the fulfillment of many prophecies declaring that Christ will return and be king. And then after the thousand years have ended, Satan will be released. Why? <laughs> Kill him now. <laughs> Um, then Satan will be released. I'm sure some of you, you know, this might be a new revelation to you. You might not have heard this before. Um, and then people will follow him again into battle against God, and then they will be defeated again. There will be a final judgment of all the people, great and small. The old earth and heaven will be destroyed by fire. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire, and this will begin the eternal kingdom, the new heaven, and the new earth. Which is mentioned in Revelation chapter 22 and, sorry, 21 and 22. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. Are we doing good for time? Yep. yep, excellent. So then, now that we understand dispensationalism <laughs> and the seven dispensations or time frames of the scriptures from beginning of time until what's to come, I want to bring us into a space of truth. And I want to highlight, alongside talking about the dispensation of truth, I want to highlight what it means to be living in truth. And to live in truth 
is to be free. To live in truth is to be free. Amen? Is to find freedom. Freedom in God and in the journey. Freedom from bondage. Freedom from the things that enslaved you to the world. Things that are visible to you, but also things that are secret. Things that you don't talk about, that are swept under into the darkest places of your heart. And I want to talk about that this morning because in order for us to fulfill the calling, the great calling and purpose that God has over our life and over our church, we need to be free. Amen? Now, if you'd open your Bible now to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. And it goes a little something like this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Freedom isn't a monument. Freedom is a movement. A monument is stagnant, almost like a statue, not moving stays the same for years and years and years. People look up to the statue or to this monument and that's all that it is. Wow, forget it, go on with your life, move on. Whereas freedom is a movement. Freedom or being free is a journey, is a movement forward. Amen? And the reason why it's a movement It's exactly that. If freedom was for you to be stagnant and a monument, then you will never evolve, you will never grow, and then you'll never experience the fruition of God's plan over your life. Amen? Freedom. There are two meanings for freedom. The first meaning is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants. And the second meaning is the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. Now, the thing with freedom is it costs. Freedom costs more than life itself. (laughs) In order for you to have gotten to where you are today, I'm sure there were struggles to get from point A to point Z. Am I correct? It would have to cost you something. When Jesus, when God the Father saw that he loved us that much, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he had this eternal love for us, but it had to cost him something so that we could be reconnected. And obviously that cost was Jesus. The ultimate cost, ultimate gift. He sends Jesus as this ultimate gift to die and take upon himself everything that I am and that I continue to repent for daily and he took it upon himself and you know what's so funny is when Jesus this is this is what the Lord put in my heart as I was reading through the word and 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 really listening to God speak to me and one of the things that I really got from it was the fact that Jesus became us on the cross 
And, that's ex- and, and to the point where even God didn't recognize him because he became us. And because he didn't recognize him, that's the reason why Jesus shouted out, Eloi. What was the, what's the Hebrew words that he said? God, God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus was like, hello, am I not your son? But it was because of the sacrifice, this cost. Jesus became miracle. Jesus became Josh. Jesus became Liz, Trina, and senior pastor Abraham. And God couldn't see his son because that's what it would cost to be free, for us to find freedom. Amen? And for me, that was very... Um, I couldn't like help but cry because if you think about it logically if you look at your son and you can't recognize your son there's a almost a there's there's no there's not almost there's rejection there there's rejection there between father and son and so Jesus who not only took upon himself who we are but also what we would feel in seasons of darkness in seasons of despair, in seasons where we don't feel like getting out of bed. Jesus became all of that and then some. So that we could experience freedom. In John chapter 8, verse uh, 28 to 36, if we could open our Bibles to this really quickly as well. I think it's pretty cool to highlight. Oh, sorry, uh, John chapter 8, verse 28 to 36. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. Verse 29, The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. 30, Even as he spoke, many believed him. sorry, 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Verse 32. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Verse 33. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, excuse me, and we have never been slaves before of anyone. How can, how dare you? (laughs) How can you say that we shall be set free when we've always been free? Jesus replied in verse 34, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Verse 35, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Verse 36, So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I love how... um, Jesus is having this nice conversation with these. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was saying um, <laughs> to the Lord, oh, so these guys are having a nice cordero with you. Eh? Cordero is a Maori word for like, you know, having a talk, <laughs> having, a, having a conversation. <laughs> and he's having a conversation with these new Jewish converts about salvation. And while Jesus, you know, as it says here, while Jesus is telling them about freedom and being free indeed, their reply was, we were never servants in the first place. It was almost like the way they answered it was they were feeling a bit degraded. 
who does this man think he is? Without knowing that Jesus was telling the truth, but they could not understand because I feel like they still had a lot to learn about salvation and what it meant to be free. Jesus wanted them to come to the revelation and realization that salvation is a journey and it requires hanging on in there. After the emotional release and excitement, there's hardship and struggle. Continuation is the authenticity, sorry, continuation is the proof of authenticity of my salvation. Continuation legitimizes authenticity. What I'm meaning is the constant battle and fight forward legitimizes how real my salvation is. Because if I am trying to work at my salvation but I'm moving back in the world, that doesn't legitimize my salvation. It's not real. It's fake, right? You can tell how real something is by how much they continue to go on. If you can walk away from it easily, did you really have it in the first place? Any love that does not continue was likely flawed in the first place. And we can only fake it for so long, yeah? Eventually, fraudulent love, I love this word, fraudulent I feel like it should be an R&B 90s song. <laughs> fraudulent love. Hey, Nick. <laughs> oh, man. Eventually, fraudulent love for God or for others will wear out because love has a lot of work to do. And there's a lot of hours and a lot of homework that goes into love and relationships amen and jesus is saying to them if you believe me now let's see what time does to this because time is very tricky time reveals flaws time reveals like the ugly stuff and the struggles and it's how we deal with all of that it's going to determine how we come out on the other side yeah Jesus is saying, what you're saying is wonderful, cool, yep, you're free, you've never been, you know, in slavery before, but there's a difference between embracing an ideology, sorry, there's a difference between liberating ideology and really working, really working at it, like, with a good game. Does that make sense? Like, oh no, I didn't make sense there. Don't, how do you lie to me, Rip? <laughs> There's a difference between embracing a liberating ideology and then really working at your salvation, really working at your relationship, yeah? Spending the time. Now, during this time of teaching, revival, and conversation, and ministry, I found out here in, uh, in John that revival started with the Jews, but it didn't stay there. It eventually spread throughout the four corners of the earth. Because those who followed Jesus at that time, they had an authentic love. They had an authentic connection with the Messiah. And they recognized that they weren't just free, they were free indeed. And then their journey to freedom lights this excitement and fire and passion. And then boom, all of a sudden, these disciples are like starting to infect the world with, the good news of the gospel and every four... They didn't even have planes. 
They didn't have planes to get from Africa to Australia, Australia to Macedonia. Hard out. And yet, everybody heard about Jesus one way or another. Amen? And here they were telling everyone about the love of Yeshua. And it's so exciting because they experienced freedom in its entirety. Yeah? Freedom. People like the idea of freedom, but they don't like the reality of freedom. When most people find out how much it costs for you to get to where you are today, most people walk away. It's easy to start a church. Anyone can get up and start a church. The hardest part is the long haul. It's the staying here, <laughs> being planted, and then growing. I've found that the, these last couple of years has probably been the hardest years in my family's life ever. But what's so evident is the freedom that we experience in Christ. And it's not even, we're not, well, imagine a tree and the wind comes and it blows. Like obviously your like branches are like high up doing this. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> but the beauty of God is and the beauty of real relationships, authentic salvation is roots grow deep. So whatever is happening around you, you're not swayed or you are swayed but you're never moved and uprooted. Amen? To be a good father, it costs you something, right? To be a pastor, it costs you something. To be a good mother, it costs you something. To be a, a, a good daughter, it costs you something. Something's got to give for you to be able to get the, what it is that you're wanting, what it is you're fighting for. To become a real estate agent, it costs you something to be able to work at your dreams and even when the world is against it, it doesn't phase you because it's motivating you and you're like, this is my purpose. But even walking in that light, it costs you something. I remember when I was in my place of darkness and anxiety over a year ago. You would not have known this. <laughs> Surprise! <No. laughs> um, I remember when I was in my space of darkness and it was like I was walking, I was doing ministry, but I was walking around with a cloud over, like it was, there was just this cloud of sadness, this cloud of darkness, like a storm that just followed me everywhere. And I'd sit down, the cloud would sit down. If I stood up, the cloud stood up. If I drove off, the cloud drove off. It just, it just literally stayed there. And I became so accustomed to this cloud being there and it became so comfortable with it being there that I stayed where I was because I was so, what's the word to use here? I was comfortable in being sad. I was comfortable in being in this dark place and putting on this uh, almost like a mask to serve and then going back to my dark place. And it's a very, it was a very dangerous place to be in. And my darkness and my depression, this anxiety, I was so anxious to the point where there were certain things that my siblings would do where they would send me a message or do particular things and then it would flare up my anxiety. And it was like the littlest things, like toothbrushes wouldn't be put in where the toothbrushes would go and I would lose it. I would cry. And all of this, like I couldn't breathe. And my brothers do this thing where they're like, sis, 
and then don't say anything after that, man, that fueled my anxiety. And I would cry, like even at work when I would see that sis, I remember I would cry about it because like how anxious I would feel. And it was just cause, it was just a season that um, as I was walking through it, God never left me. God never left me. My family never left me. It was just what I needed to deal with and allow God to help me through. So I, as I was walking through this darkness, I distinctly remember my sister. My sister has uh, always been my shadow, everywhere. So as she was growing up, she had to grow up quickly because she always hung out with our friends. So Liz, now like this 19-year-old who's very onto it, loves the Lord, serves hard, is working at her dreams. But even growing up, Liz was just so, she was sheltered, protected, but she was like uh, one of the best kids that you could, like honestly, I just felt that she was just so advanced in her way of thinking, very mature for her age, always. And that was because she hung out with us a lot, even though we've got a huge gap, there's 11 years between us. And I do remember the first time that I decided, I came into this space where like I needed to speak and I was like, um, I need to tell you that I feel anxious. <laughs> and being the good sport that she is, being the understanding sister that she is, she was like, okay, yeah, sweet, let's talk. And so while she sat there, I told her about anxiety and what I was feeling and this trouble that was, this, this trouble that was brewing in my heart and this cloud that was following me everywhere. And as I was explaining this to her and she was, crying as I was telling her this and then I remember feeling like a small bit of this cloud was like fell off and I felt like a little bit lighter and I was like okay Lord I I came into this space where I was like you know what I don't want to be like this anymore I want to be happy I want to be happy I want to see your plan you know come into fruition here at Mount Refuge starts with me Lord I choose to be happy I didn't get up all of a sudden one day and then, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm happy, yes, <laughs> change, woo, no, it literally was, it's still a process, it's still a journey, freedom is a journey, happiness is a journey, but I do know that it is also a choice to decide when it's time to find healing, or it's time to let it go, or it's time to be in a space of happiness, it's time to allow God into dig out the things that shouldn't be there. It was time for him to come and overwhelm me. And the reason why I share that is because to get to where God has called you to be and for you to be here in this, for me to be here in this place of darkness, it felt like purpose was hundreds of years away from me. I was like doing this <laughs> in my cloud, with my cloud over me, I was like, <laughs> Hi, purpose. <laughs> and it was literally like 10, 15, 20 years. And it got to a point where I was like, no, I don't want, come here. <laughs> purpose, come here in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Happiness, come here in the name of Jesus. Healing, come here in the name of Jesus. And I really feel like that was something I needed to share this morning. <laughs> that God has destined greatness over our lives, over this church, over our leadership. But we need to come into a place of freedom or 
begin our journey to freedom. Do you like my um, shirt? It's pretty cool, hey? <laughs> Hallelujah, Jesus. I'm almost done. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hallelujah, Jesus. Freedom. It sounds good, but when you dig down into it, it costs. You like the idea of it, but when you really get into it, again, it costs you something. Anyone can start something, set it off, but then it's the continuing of it. Year after year. If you're going to complain about it, you've already gotten a reward because you want everyone's attention on your sacrifice. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> Sometimes... I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this because this is what God said to me this morning. If you're going to complain about it, you've already gotten your reward because you want everyone's attention on your sacrifice. Sometimes you must suffer with your mouth closed, excuse me, and do your job as you were commanded. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Endurance. Jesus said in his word that after you've suffered a while, I'll, I'll establish you. Some stuff doesn't cook in the microwave because the microwave is too fast. Good food takes time. You can't do a good pot roast inside a microwave. Really good food is slow cooked and over a long period of time. Jesus said, if you continue, you won't just be free, you will be free indeed. Anzac Day, we commemorate freedom. The soldiers who laid down their lives. It cost them something for us to be able to walk this earth. I mean, to be able to be living in Australia. It cost them something. Freedom. Freedom is a savage business. <laughs> it's a painful business. I, whoever starts a business on uh, freeing people, man, good luck. <laughs> That's why healing ministries are not easy. Because <laughs> you're literally delivering and, and bringing people from, a place, from the place that they are at to a place of freedom. Man, that's hard. Thank you. I'll stick to worship leading. <laughs> Can there be freedom without a cost? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I pray that as I finish up this morning that we choose to journey into freedom, to journey into a place of happiness. Because Jesus is coming soon and if Jesus is coming and we're in a slump, I remember in my place of darkness, the one thing that I vividly remember was the Holy Spirit on the sidelines cheerleading. I legit, that's all I remember. I remember the Holy Spirit doing, <laughs> miracle, <laughs> miracle. And it sounds funny, but I remember after days of like, being in a space of darkness and like not being able to smile, I distinctly remember the Holy Spirit saying, Miracle, come on, come 
come on. And I want to share that to our church this morning that, man, God is going to do amazing things for Mount Refuge. But how awesome is it that he is stripping us of all unrighteousness. He is stripping us of everything that has held us for so long. He's stripping us of all our pride and our ego. He's stripping us of everything that held us captive in public, but also in secrecy. God is saying this morning to our church, to our family, be free. Come on. 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 Be free. One of our pastors come on.